For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts, and on this episode, a woman said she shot her abusive boyfriend in self-defense. When authorities charged her with murder, she took a curious legal option. She agreed to a plea bargain without knowing what it would be. We'll discuss the podcast, Blind Plea, from Limonada. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hey, Kevin. Thank you for your never-ending patience, Rebecca. Also with us, I, I never get that from you. First is a first time for everything. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady. It's because I forgot to finish the script that we start reading and there's nothing there. Also <laughs> forgot to finish Mondays, but that's okay. No, oh, yes, I did. Yes. <laughs> that's fine. That's what you get when you're trying to write all this stuff and then you had to take the, I had to take the dogs. Babe, you had the groomers, you had baseball. baseball game. You had a lot going on. Kid got hit in the face. It's fine. Also no, with it's us. fine he got hit in the face. It's fine. All right. Hey, we all have lives. We you all know? have lives. All right. This is why we need support on Patreon because we all have lives. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of the Piper Green series of cozy mysteries, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hey, Rebecca, I'm glad to add scriptwriter to that list if it's uh, if it's needed. <laughs> <laughs> I want to jump wow. in and just write an intro real quick. And finally, <laughs> you, our resident Downing Thomas, the author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hey, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. All right. So, Kevin, this is Thursday show. It is. Do you know what's happening on Monday? I do, but I forgot to write it down. <laughs> no, actually, I, I do. We're going to be talking about the uh, buzzworthy miniseries, The Curious Case of Natalia Grace. Oh, my God. Oh, God. Everyone yes. is talking about that. Laura's making us do it. I don't know if it's good, but I know everyone is talking it's, about it. It's freaky. It's freaky. One of my friends called and was like, you have to watch this immediately. And I'm like, now I can't turn away. All right. It's freaky. Love something freaky. Yeah. I, I have mm-hmm. a feeling, like looking at the social media buzz around it, it's going to be one of those things where we're going to be like dishing, 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 and then Toby's going to be like, oh, <laughs> the whole time. That'll, that'll be awesome. Just the vibe yeah. that I get. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe not. All I know is that I can't wait to watch it because I'm seeing lots of people that I know and like, like Brandy Brown, for instance, like just tweeting the hell out mm-hmm. of it. So anyway, I cannot wait. All right, we have kind of a heavy topic to talk about right now. So, Kevin, should we just get into it and just like take the room down a little bit? Yeah, why don't you drop that first clip? All right, I'm going to do that and let's just take it down and drop that first clip right now. 911, where is your emergency? Um, I live in Clara. I just, I, me and my boyfriend were just fighting and I just shot him and you, I think he's dead. You shot him? In 2017, Devin Gray claimed self-defense when she shot and killed her abusive partner in a remote trailer in rural Alabama. Instead of freedom, she was handed a blind plea 
an option to take an unknown sentence in exchange for pleading guilty. In Shelby County, the mindset is, is pro-police. And if you wouldn't have been messing up doing what you were doing, if you got arrested and you got this far, you probably did it. Devin's 15-year sentence became the final link in a chain of generational trauma, coercive control, and a broken justice system. How did this academic star from Baltimore wind up in Alabama, living under a false name, trapped with a violent boyfriend, and no way out? So I said, I'll come get you. No, Dad, no. Leslie told me, we both go get her. I said, Devin, you drinking now. I can't talk to you like this. I want to help you, but you don't want my help. So I hung up. She called back. I said, Devin, I need to come get you, baby, because you, you wouldn't call me if you weren't happy. From the makers of Believe Her comes the 10-part podcast, Blind Plea, from Limonada. Host Liz Flock asks, who do we believe and why? And in America, who has the right to self-defense and a fair trial? Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from the first five episodes of Blind Plea. So if you want to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. So, Laura, have you ever heard of a blind plea before? Because I certainly have not. I have not. And I started to question myself. So I texted one of my defense attorney friends and I'm like, have you heard of this? And they had not either. So mm. I was like, OK, now I'm not crazy. I've heard of a naked plea. What's that? Um, I've never heard of a naked plea before. I, f- I feel like I've heard of a naked plea. Maybe I'm making that up, too. But like I, I've had cases you go in and... Both sides can't reach a negotiated plea deal. It's a case that's not going to go to trial. And so you go in and sort of present, if you're on the defense side, some mitigating information and, you know, sort of throw yourself at the mercy of the judge to give a lesser sentence than what the prosecution is asking for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so it's not negotiated ahead of time, but you know you're going to go in and plead guilty and you're going to see what sentence the judge hands down. But in those cases... That's where if you are somebody like Devin, your defense team should be, you know, putting together a whole packet of information to, you know, show why she shouldn't be getting, a, you know, a severe sentence in this case. Right. But this, I, I've never heard of a blind plea. I've never heard. So I thought I, I was like, wait a minute. What? Yeah. But I looked it up and it's it's not everywhere. It's certain states have this. It's wild. Yeah. It just seems so strange to me. And, and of course, the episodes we've listened to haven't addressed that particular aspect of it yet. But when they said that, it just seems unconstitutional to me in like many ways. But, you know, we'll get to that. Uh, but it's like it, injustice. It seems like a big injustice is what it seems it's like. It's very strange. Um, so it seems like not beneficial to anyone. anyone. Well, maybe to the prosecution. Well, I know. I mean, the blind plea could have also been 12 months. But why would it's like you do it? It's like spinning the wheel at, like the, at the fucking casino. Like, yeah. let's spin the wheel and see where it lands. At least what? with a regular plea bargain, you know what they're offering. But why would you ever do it? I have no idea. Why would you ever say I'm pleading guilty but not knowing what I'm going to get? Why, well, would- you, what, why you would do it is if the prosecution is asking when they're negotiating with you for a super high sentence and you think that the judge might come in at a better sentence. So you might have a better shot of getting a lesser sentence by throwing yourself on the mercy of the court than going with what the prosecution is offering you. But that would be in a super shitty case. That would be like a case that was like a a case that was like really, really bad facts where you're like, this is the best case. This is the best outcome I could have is 
not knowing what the outcome is because the other offer is so high. Well, you could also be worried about the jury, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm, Yeah. Yeah. But blind. So it's I mean, it's like but that's usually that's a plea deal. So worried about the jury means you either take 15 years or you take a chance on the jury. You don't say I take a chance on the jury or this grab bag of whatever shit I might get. Yeah. Door number two. Right. Like when I when I first heard about it, I was like, how did they like who thought that this was a good idea and why did they put it as a like a law? Like, why is this a legal possibility? Because it right. does it doesn't seem to make much sense because it all depends on who your judge ends up being. Like it could end up being Doug Evans. Well, and that's the thing is that's why if you were doing it and you knew you're going to be before like Judge Rebecca, who's going to be more liberally minded, you might be like, oh, I'm going to throw One my month. chances behind Judge Rebecca, because I know that Rebecca understands mental health issues or our substance abuse issues or domestic violence issues. If it's Judge Kevin, I'm not going to take a blind plea because I don't think Kevin understands those issues. So I'm not going to put my faith in the, you know, but it still is pretty fucked up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, Jebby, let's talk about the opening of the podcast when we talk about like the history of what happened on the property where Devin ended up killing her partner. Can you just like walk me through your thoughts about that? Yeah, sure. So the uh, the opening episode starts uh, with talking about how the perpetrator in the case that this is actually about, this guy, John, his grandmother actually killed his grandfather to protect herself from a domestic violence situation. Vines snake across the ground, wrapping around trees beside an old, broken down trailer. A dark history lies beneath those vines. Forty years ago, a woman shot and killed her abusive husband on this land. And now, that woman's grandson will die in exactly the same way. So that's what they open with. And it sort of sets like one of the themes, I guess, for, for this podcast, which is the sort of general generational nature of uh, trauma and abuse. And you'd later get it filled in with the the generation in between them. There's also abuse. And John's mom like leaves in the middle of the night with all her kids to escape from the husband and just never looks back. I thought it was a pretty good way of, of, of opening. It seemed very natural and it does set this tone of, I don't know if it's an inevitability, but of sort of uh, a, a culture or at least a family culture that kind of allows that thing to happen and replicate itself. Kevin, what do you think about sort of the way this podcast is approaching that? Because we did listen, as you said, to believe her from mm-hmm. the same network here. Is this like a, is this sort of like a pattern of content that we're kind of getting about stories like of this vein here? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if Lemonado is like, they're planting a flag saying this is, you know, the kind of stories we're always going to do. And, and to compare, I think, any sort of story like this in the in this silo, to compare it to Believer, you know, it's one of the best podcasts we've ever heard, so it's going to pale in comparison. But, I mean, it's another great story of how women and people of color are treated differently by the justice system. And I really don't think the system has yet come to terms with the issue of victim perpetrators, if that's even the proper term, you know, when survival is criminalized. You can either survive or you can go to jail because the actions sort of on their face and taken in a vacuum, they don't add up to a nice, clean self-defense claim or something we can get behind. Uh, You know, the person who pulled the trigger isn't really the bad guy or bad girl in the situation. 
We just haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. So, Laura, there's something really powerful about this podcast in that you, I mean, I, again, I'm not going to speak for you, 100 and 1,000 and 1 million percent believe that Devin is the victim of severe violent abuse. I mean, John's father <laughs> acknowledges that he would like what, turn up the radio or television because he know that she knew that she was being beaten up. You know, his mother was it his uh, and grandma thought grandma, he was a piece right? of shit. Yeah. Yeah. Like like it, this was like a known. The, and the one that knew how his sex like, oh, I know he's into that kinky sex stuff. I'm like, oh, right. So this is like not a disputed fact by anybody who like knew him. Right. But we hear in the 911 call, we hear in the police interrogation, we hear sort of like, quote, affect evidence, which makes me wildly angry that this affect evidence is used against women. But the, it, I think it is important for us to hear it, to hear Devin saying like, hey, I just killed my boyfriend. Hey, I'm standing at the top of the hill with waving at you, trying to guide in a very like uh, passive, like, you know, pragmatic way, just telling the cops what happened. That, of course, ends up being used against her later. Don't you think it's important for us to hear that and understand not as a listener to sort of doubt her, but sort of like, this is the kind of shit that gets used against women. But at the same time, part of me worries that listeners at the same time will be like, I don't know. Is she telling the truth? Well, you, it is. It is. Hard. I mean, and, and I know this and I know this sort of information that you're talking about, Rebecca, and I still listen to it. And I'm like, wow, boy, she is really calm. But the thing is, people don't react the same way to trauma, especially somebody that has been the victim of ongoing, repeated mm -hmm. abuse and trauma. So when you think about it, that person is used to operating in a world where there was always this abuse going on. Right. So they're not going to ratchet up and respond the same way and the same level of hysteria as somebody who hasn't experienced it. Because they're just like, this is more of the same. And I've already learned how to cope and deal with it because this is something that I'm dealing with day in and day out. And I am simply surviving. Yeah. But there is that part when you're listening to it where you're like, wow, she is amazingly composed when she calls the police to report this in 911. I, I listened to one of the bonus episodes where the police were interrogating her and I was like getting ready to be like, ah, oh, fuck the police. Like, what are they? Do? But no, they were really nice to her when they were in the, that one, the first interview, they were like, you've been through a lot. Like the guy wasn't being a dick to her in the way that he was talking to her. But then at one point you do hear her finally reach her breaking point and start to cry. It's very clear these cops have zero training in domestic violence. And by the way, I blame them, but I also, it's very clear they have no training in this. No training. Well, this goes back to what we talked about a few weeks ago when we were talking about the women that were rape victims being then accused of false reports. It's like there is a lack of that sort of awareness of what happens and how people behave in those situations seems to be sort of a missing piece in certain areas of law enforcement. I mean, there are some areas that are progressive and that are training in that area, but there are some areas that haven't caught up. And so they're still reacting like they did a number of years ago. And in this case, Devin is really being dealt a shit hand in terms of what happens to her. But like Kevin said, how do you hold accountable 
somebody in that situation when they do take a life in the situation, mm. even though it came after all of this abuse. Well, she would have is- died. I mean, she's a, she's a surviving murder victim. She's a murder victim who survived a murder. I mean, that's what happened. That's what ha- he would have murdered her, but she survived the murder. But the system isn't set up to just say, well, we're not going to charge you. So that's the question is, how do you how do you handle that? Yeah, I don't think anyone should get an automatic pass in every situation. Like stand your ground is already problematic enough. And if you want to say, well, every domestic violence survivor can take a life. Well, then it makes it far too easy for the real perpetrator to kill their partner and say, oh, I was the victim, right? Abusers but, will start using it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Abusers will start using that. But it doesn't mean that police and prosecutors shouldn't heavily weigh those extenuating circumstances when evaluating an incident. Justice without discretion is not justice. And the thing has always been, you know, and again, in a vacuum, the different actions that sometimes the victims take in order to protect themselves don't jive with what we traditionally think of as self-defense. We have a duty to retreat and things like that. And I I learned this was a great thing that I learned in this situation, because this is like one of the most vexing legal facts is that like in the Nikki Adamando case, is that the homicide victim in this case was shot like asleep or when they're defenseless. And so that doesn't usually jive when we think of as self-defense. But I learned that domestic violence victims feel that they are unable to act or defend themselves when their abuser is awake and threatening them and being a presence. And so, you know, that is when they act in those moments when they feel like now is the only time I can act is when he is asleep or neutralized or something like that. So the manner in which the shooting happens to the police just indicates one thing. But we know it's more complicated than that. So, Toby, let's talk about the podcast itself for a second. So the story basically starts with the story itself. And then we get into the individual stories of the people. I found the story in particular of Devin's, like how she ended up where she ended up to be particularly compelling. It particularly resonated with me, myself, a college dropout when the first time I went to college, finding myself very ashamed in those circumstances and lying to my parents and very lost and in a relationship where I followed somebody to a different state. I that found myself like thinking I could have been Devin very easily if I ended up with somebody like John, which could have happened to me. Did you think that the storytelling structure of this podcast works in this situation? I think it does. It's not a uh, structure that I would necessarily recommend as being like a model to follow. But in this particular case, I think the story lends itself to this. I think being able to focus an entire episode on Devin's life and sort of the the tragedy of it. And, uh, you know, you tease some of it just there and we tease some of it up top. But where she goes from being like a top student and going to college and then it's also this weird thing where she has this life in upstate New York and she has this life in Baltimore and the life in Baltimore is sort of this successful studious kid. And then the life in New York is partying a lot. And then when she goes to college, it seems like she brings more of her New York upstate New York life with her. She parties her way out of college and is sort of adrift. If you, if you follow the arc from when she goes as a freshman to college and then not that many years later, she's living in a FEMA trailer in an overgrown yard in the middle of this rural Alabama town. You know, it's it's fast and it's tragic. And it's just it's 
like I think you have to hear it all sort of told at in one piece to kind of get the full impact yep. of exactly how much her life changed. Devin was caught between two worlds. She was trying to be the straight A, clean cut high school senior in Baltimore. But when she visited her mom and sister in Saratoga, she drank and partied just like them. She says she was trying to fit in. But in trying to please everyone, Devin lost herself. It's a combination of, uh, I think, substance abuse, right? But then also just be, hitching, your, hitching your wagon to the wrong guy. Like a guy who probably seemed exciting at the time, but he's not. For me, though, Toby, the triggering event is not substance abuse. It's not hitching your... It's the triggering event is feeling like you can't tell your parents the truth about your life because parents tend to say to your kids, this is the way you have to live. And if you don't live this way, I'm ashamed of you. If you don't live this way, if you don't live this traditional way, you're not living the right way. And kids feel like they are letting their parents down if they don't follow like the one path and they have, and like, if they fail, like, I can't tell you I'm failing. Like, and I see this over and over and over again. And this is the way I felt when I was like 19 years old and I wasn't doing well in college. I literally couldn't tell them because they were like, we won't pay if you don't get B's or whatever. It is so easy to not give your kids a soft place to land when you set up these expectations. And then as a kid, you're like, well, fuck it. I'll just go to this other thing instead. It is so easy just to take this other path. You meet one person who gives you one alternative and then another person who gives you another alternative. This is how you can just get lost. And like, this is not a parenting advice podcast, obviously, but this just seemed, this podcast more than anything else I've ever listened to just laid that out in such a clear way of like, Parents, fucking give your kids a soft place to land if you love them. Tell them that if they fail, it's not a big fucking deal. Like people fail and then they don't like I didn't find my career until I was 35. It's fine. Like I could have been Devin at some point before I was 35. That's 100%. really great. That's really great advice, Rebecca. And if you want to hear more of Rebecca's advice, join us on Patreon. Oh my God, Kevin. Patreon.com slash partners in crime that was media. So indelicate. Wow. Why now? <laughs> Taking a heartfelt. Seriously, <laughs> if, you, if you listen to Mary with podcast, I talk about Let's with shit all it. the time. Let's monetize this. <laughs> That's how we live so at sensitive. Casa de Flynn Void. <laughs> yeah, we have a lot of great exclusive podcasts at Patreon, including Mary with Podcasts. In the next episode, Rebecca and I answer Holly's question How do you handle it when someone you've met before doesn't recognize you? Oh, it's not the worst. Yeah, yeah. Do you let them off the hook or not? Also, other great podcasts. We have the Crime Writers on After Show, uh, Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast, where they just discuss the book Rogues. Remember, you can try us for free for seven days if you go to uh, patreon.com slash partners in crime media. If you like it, stick around. You can also get all of these episodes early and ad-free. You'd already know that I was coming into that crazy ad transition. And uh, you don't have to worry about any of those ads. It's Thursday, so we want to let you know that uh, you can get today's Crime Writers On newsletter. Yes, you can. It's chock full of stuff. Just go to CrimeWritersOn.com and give us your email. Got a lot of great stuff there. And uh, also in Crime Writers On land, I should say in Partners in Crime Media land, we've got the latest episode of These Are Their Stories Out. We're covering the SVU episode Taboo. This is the one where the Woman throws the baby in the trash, not once, 
but twice. Wait, what? Oh, yeah. What? Let me play a clip. She was raped. No. She had just given birth, but didn't have a newborn to show for it. They called the cops. This nutcase is a serial baby killer. And our guest is our friend Simone Paget from the uh, podcast We Are Never Doing This Again. Yeah. Uh, also, want to let you know that uh, I am planning a meetup with Irish listeners who will be in Dublin at the end of uh, June, and we're working out some of the details. Looks like it's going to be Friday, June 30th. We'd love to have a drink with you, a pint, a whiskey, Diet Coke, whatever the F you want. We'll do it there. It's me and uh, my daughter, Lily as we are traveling through the homeland. Really? Yeah. Okay. Really what? You didn't know this? You didn't no, know I was going to be gone no, for a week? No, I did week? know it. I did know it. Listen, I'm already writing it off on our tax Yeah, return. what are you going to do while Kevin's gone for the week, Rebecca? Oh. Oh, my God. I can't <laughs> what wait. What am I going to do? I'm going to be alone in our house, which is literally my favorite activity. <laughs> I love nothing. People are like, Rebecca, you're a baseball widow. That must be so sad. I'm like, no, it's awesome. I love being alone. It's incredible. Sorry, Kevin. I know I love you very much. No, that's all right. But I also love being alone. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, Kevin, before we end the business section, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Patreon patron saints are Stephanie Spratt. And Wendy Curtis, bless you. All right. Bless you guys. Bless you to everyone who follows us on Patreon. Everyone who doesn't, but mostly everyone who muscles through the business section anyway. Kevin, can I fade that music out right now? It's a good time to fade it out right now. All right. So, Lara, you left a note about this podcast that I would like to give you an opportunity to talk about. And that is about the deceased person in this story, John. Um, what do you think about John? Obviously, he's characterized a number of ways in this podcast. Um, what are your thoughts? So in which way? I mean, he sounds, it just. Okay, I'm just going to read your note and get you off the hook. Not to speak ill of the dead, but John was a real Oh, okay, douche. okay. Yeah, no, he was a real douche. Okay, no, no. And, and I think that is, again, we have a victim that is unlikable here. Yeah, yeah. A, a homicide victim that is is unlikable. He makes his two girlfriends have a threesome um, that is apparently videotaped. Um he calls his second girlfriend, Alexis, the one who thinks, you know, that he's going to run off and buy a house. Uh, you know, he's got this like past rape allegation. Uh, he's just there's there's a lot going on with John. And I think that complicates not complicates it. But I mean, I, I, you know, I think that in this case, you've got somebody that really fits the profile of an I don't want to say stereotypical abuser, but he really does. Yeah. He really well, does. He, like, I, I think the podcast does a good job laying out the framework of abuse. They talk about the future faking, uh, yes. which I think is a very interesting, like... Yeah, I hadn't heard that before. That was very interesting. I've never heard that term before, but I knew about the construct before where an abuser, in addition to love bombing, will say, here's what our future is going to look like. We're going to buy a house. We're going to move to this place. And John was doing that. He did that to Devin. And then when he was with Devin, he did that with Alexis. Does anybody here doubt that he would have ended up abusing Alexis the way he abused Devin? Nope. No. Because he he would have. Like, there's no way he wouldn't have ended up abusing Alexis the way he abused Devin. The only difference between Alexis and Devin was that Alexis had a a supportive family 
that he would have had to divide Alexis from her family. And she was still being like useful to him because she had a car and she was like driving him around and things like that. So like she still had kind of a purpose in, yeah. in a different sort of way of him using her for what he needed. The abuse isn't about Devin. It isn't Devin's fault. It isn't like if Devin were a different person. It's about no. John. So Alexis definitely was going to be, you know, oh, totally. the, next, the next victim. Yeah. Well, and I think what was really interesting, speaking of Alexis, was that last episode, the one that's dropped out today, the day that we're taping, where the host talks about not really wanting to give airtime to Alexis's version of what happened and the relationship and these, um, you know, she was claimed because, you know, when she first comes in and, and they tell her, like, they ask her some questions and she kind of pretends like she doesn't know anything. And then they tell her that John's dead and she's like, ah, and then the story changes. And now she comes out with this, that she was on the phone with him and that Devin was the one that was firing the gun and that he was trying to get away from Devin and that Devin is really the abuser. And that's why he's always going to Alexis's house. And and so I get the not wanting to give that airtime, but I also think it's important that they included that because that's what the police were hearing. And I think that sets up how this case played out because right. the police were not, they didn't really have the training to right. see that this was a, a pattern of manipulation and deception and abuse and that um, Alexis was just sort of a pawn in that mobile of what was happening. You know what I mean? Right. Here's the question I have for you, Toby, because this is one flaw that I sort of have in the podcast is that so Liz presents these two like options with Alexis is that Alexis is giving her story to the police about whether, you know, John was doing the shooting or Devin was doing the shooting. And she was like, but what if Alexis was lying? And I'm like, I personally don't think Alexis was lying. I think John was telling Alexis that. Devin was doing the shooting while he was on the phone with Alexis. I don't think Alexis was lying. I think that Alexis was buying what John was selling because we heard that Devin bought what John was selling at the beginning of their relationship, right? Yeah, and it's consistent with what John was telling her about, like when he'd stay over with her is, you know, I'm being abused by Devin. Right. Yeah, I, I feel like... I don't feel like Alexis could have like fabricated that story in that instance, like made it up out of whole cloth and then have also some of the physical evidence like the trailer being shot up matched. So I really I don't believe she was lying, but I do feel like she was told that she's 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 accurately reporting what she was told by John. And because I have to say that, like, there's no way that. I can't believe that John would have been in mortal danger that Devin is threatening, shooting the stuff around and that that John wouldn't have killed Devin. Right. It just doesn't to me, that doesn't make sense. If if she were threatening him and, you know, or that he would have been, I'm going to sleep now. That I'm going to sleep now. Yeah. I mean, he went to sleep after getting drunk and would break in her nose or her jaw or whatever it was like he put a good beating on her so that even like when the cops come and find her, she's like clearly the violence victim here. So it doesn't make sense that it, he was accurately reporting what was going on. It kind of reminds me of this horrible parallel to like the big brother 
taking your hand going, stop hitting yourself. Why are you hitting yourself? I just feel it's like that horrible of a thing, just yes. manipulating somebody and just taunting them with it. She, He was taunting her. Yes. I think that he was on the phone with Alexis mm-hmm. holding the gun and saying, Devin is shooting at me. Bang. Bang. Yeah. That's, oh, don't shoot at me. To bang. Don't shoot at that's me. That's exactly because he would tell her that Devin abused him. I mean, that it's so clear to me. And it yeah. actually sort of, it astonishes me that Liz asked the cop, like, what if Alexis was lying and didn't go there? I mean, that's the one huge flaw I've heard in the podcast so far, that Alexis is sort of framed as a little bit of a villain in that instance, because Alexis is clearly being set up as the next victim of abuse. I mean, to me, it's just extremely clear. Yeah, she's, I, I mean, they established that she's unreliable, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, they're like, she's like, I'm a second year law student. And she's like, well, it's, it's unusual for a 20 year old. Yeah. So I, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you, you know, her role in this like might be future victim, but it's not current victim. And right. I, I that's, that's not, you know, the I part mean, you she can played, be a piece of shit, but also be a future victim. Right. Correct. But just as far as this stuff goes, like she must've been fairly credulous to think that he was escaping from being beaten by her, especially when she actually witnessed him, him beating the crap out of her when she wasn't enjoying the threesome as much as she should have. Right. I right. Mean, yeah. That was super fucked uh, up. All right. So Toby, one of the things that I wanted to talk about is the sort of casualness with which we hear that this uh, community just has a culture of domestic abuse we hear that John and Devin's friend, who, you know, the woman that we hear from them in the podcast, like the couple friends of them, yep. like her relationship was so shitty. That the things that she was hearing about John and Devin's relationship, like tracked to her. Like she was like, I thought it was just like my super abusive relationship. I didn't realize it was punching. I thought it was just regular abuse. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember if it's. Liz who says it or it's somebody else, but somebody at some point makes a comment that this was like a, a, a culture. It was an area where domestic abuse was part of the culture, right? Yeah. Which mm-hmm. was like kind of a stopper for me. I mean, that's, that's quite a statement. And I think, it, you know, I think it affects the whole thing, right? It affects the way people react to it. Like you just mentioned uh, the girlfriend of uh, John's friend. And I think it, it affects the police, to a certain extent. I mean, if that if that's true, like that's something that they're dealing with a lot and apparently not very well since it continues year after year, generation after generation. So I was I was listening to this when I was driving, I, I was taking a trip to go and visit my parents, and you know, I was just just reflecting on how bleak Devin's life was. Like it's just absolute rural poverty, you know, in a in a FEMA camper with no electricity or running water. That's not like temporary quarters. Like that's your home, your abusive husband. Like he, his job is repairing electronics out of a gas station. So the sense of hopelessness that must've like just pervaded that trailer. I mean, probably on both their sides, but you know, you're more sensitive to it on Devin's side. Obviously I, I thought it was just, it was really Super depressing, but sort of strikingly laid out by the podcast. It, it was it was hard to kind of shake it as as much. I'm not that it's something that needs to be shaken, but it really sort of left an an impact. I would say. You know, it was really tough for me. Was it John's aunt who owned the property? 
that she was the sister of the dad, right? She's the sister of John's dad. Right. She was the one who the property was left to. She owned it. She was Devin's friend. She would like take Devin to do errands or whatever. She knew. Like yep. she was basically like she she's the one who took Devin to get her teeth fixed. John's dad knew. Uh, she knew something was wrong. And she said, like, who was I to say anything? Like, I just would never say anything. Uh, John's mother knew that he was abusive. John's mother had been an abuse victim, ran away from her husband, had a shotgun in her house. Like, her ex-husband had killed her dogs after she ran away. Like, people in his family knew. Especially the aunt is the one that really kills me because the moment Devin killed John, she didn't blame him for a minute for killing John. Like it's different than John's mom who does blame him to this day for like, she thinks that actually Devin murdered him. The aunt doesn't blame her because she knew. Yeah. Imagine knowing and like, just being like, that's just how it is. Uh, That goes back to that feeling like Toby was saying that like helplessness of just feeling like there's no way out. Right. Yeah. Because if these people know and they're not doing anything and you, you, there's just a sense of nothing is going to change. You just resign to it. Yeah. Yeah. But what is that woman's life like if she doesn't feel like she can do anything to help this woman who's living with her nephew? Is she afraid of the nephew? Like, what is she afraid of? Like, she's the one who owns the property that they live on. There, there's, it's a cultural, it's it's like an age thing. Sorry, like there's certain age, like where people were like, we don't get involved in other people's business. Like there's like this sort of thing. I mean, do you know what I mean? Do you know people like that? It's like, well, we I don't, do that's and I not don't. Our, I, that's not our place. We're not going to get involved in that. I think it's probably a lifetime of seeing nothing happen when people get involved, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's no consequence to any of the men other than getting killed. Like, yeah. they get away with it until their abused wives kill them. Right, 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 right. All right, let's let our listeners know, should they check out the podcast Blind Plea? It's a new podcast from Limonada. Of course, that network also brought us Believe Her, one of our favorite podcasts of last year. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Blind Plea? Yeah, this is a thumbs up for me. Um, You know, this is certainly one of those things that gets me fired up. I think this is a very thought-provoking podcast in that it raises you know, it has a real case that is, to me, pretty enraging because we have a domestic violence victim who is now in prison. But it also, you know, thought provoking and that it raises this issue of how the justice system handles cases where domestic violence victims finally fight back to save themselves and how that is handled. In this case, I had never heard of a blind plea before. I And it was a really fascinating area of the law to listen to how that worked and how that played out. And I, and I think, you know, piggybacking on other things we've reviewed recently where we've had rape victims who are then charged with false report. This is another piece of media in that same vein of areas that we need to raise awareness of and also rethink how law enforcement and the criminal justice people that are handling these cases are trained to understand these cases. So it's a big thumbs up for me. Toby Ball, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Blind Plea? Yeah, I I really like this. I thought this was an excellent podcast. Uh, I agree with all the things Laura said. I think the other thing um, for me that really sells me on it is I think 
it, it just does an excellent job of portraying the people who are involved in it. I particularly Devin, who is uh, the abuse survivor who is in prison and sort of the arc of her life and how she went from point A, which you wouldn't think she would end up where she did, but she did. And then the other sort of main players in this incident, uh, you follow their lives too. Like the, the, the person who was murdered, the abuser, John, you kind of following his life and you see they intersect the decisions that are made that lead to this situation of just, you know, it, it's a very sort of despair inducing existence that they're living. So yeah, I just a, a really big thumbs up for me. Kevin Flint. Yeah, I'm a thumbs up. Um, it's another important podcast looking at an issue that we have only really scratched the surface of uh, as a society. And certainly law enforcement is behind in its understanding of these issues. The podcast is really well put together. I, if I have a criticism, I'd say it's, it's fairly forensic in the sense that it, the, the news gathering is very, very good, but it doesn't have this sort of emotional vibrancy that we sometimes get from these. I, I mean, even in Believe Her, um, you know, it shows a lot of outrage and outrage is an emotion. So it doesn't knock it down, you know, a, a few points for me. My my thumb is still pointing north on this one. It's uh, thought provoking. I'm curious to see what the final four or five episodes, how that goes. I'm sure we're going to get, you know, the sum up of like the big picture. But you know, what happens for Devin's future now that we've covered her past? Yeah, so I agree with you, Kevin. Big thumbs up for me, but I do agree with you. The podcast could, it's a bleak story, but it doesn't have to be as bleak a listen. And I, I actually do agree with you on that front. Like, it doesn't have to be like a sparkly, like, you know, wrapped mm -hmm. present of a listen, but it doesn't have to be as bleak of a listen. It is very forensic in its presentation. My one like criticism of the podcast is some of the framing of one of the people in the podcast, which I talked about in the main review. I just do think that some of the analysis of that person is just a little bit off point for me for a story that is looking about how people can end up in the situations that they end up in, which is so smart in this podcast. I will say the one thing this podcast does so well that I would encourage people to just pay attention to is how someone you know, you or one of your kids could end up being a victim of domestic violence in an incredibly impoverished or horrible or bleak situation that you could never imagine they would be in within months of them being completely fine. Or what someone that you know or your own child could end up being a abuser when you have no idea that they could end up being an abuser within months or years of them being completely fine. This podcast does an excellent job of connecting those dots in a way that I haven't heard before. So it's worth listening to for that alone, but it's also just a really, really great piece of journalism. It tells Devin's story very, very well. So thumbs up for me for Blind Plea. All right, that's going to do it for us. But before we go, Laura Bricker, a little bit of a transition. Do we have a cat of the week this week? Oh, yes, we do, boys and girls, but it's not a cat. I would like to thank our regular member of our discussion group, Stuart Sisk, who submitted this because it is one of the best videos I've seen in a while. It is the flying squirrel oh, yes. who fakes its own death. 
and creates a whole crime scene for attention. Um, and yes, I am also in love because the squirrel literally lays down the floor, spread eagle with a broom across itself. And it, it's like literally like the chalk outline is next. It is a fantastic photo. And um, I love it a lot. So thank you, Stuart, for submitting that. And um, you can send me more animals staging crime scene photos if you'd like. Well, of course, you can send this to us by email at crimewritersona at gmail.com or put them on our Facebook group. But Laura, if folks want to send them to you on social media, how can they find you there? They can find me at Laura Bricker on Twitter. Toby Ball, how can you be found? At Toby Ball NH. Kevin Flynn, what about you? How can you be found? I'm at Kevin Flynn. I'm no, Kevin P. Flynn. That's the second time I've done that. That's okay. If you want to find me anywhere, you can Keep find me. taking the P out of Kevin P. <laughs> Flynn. <laughs> if you, find, you can find me anywhere at Reb Lavoy. Follow the show anywhere at Crime Writers On. But please, if you really want to engage with us, join our Facebook group. It's the official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. You got to answer a couple questions to get in. If you know any of our names, we will let you in. Get episodes early and ad-free at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll also get the Crime Writers on After Show, Mary with Podcast, Laura Bricker's Leave it to Bricker Podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the wonderful Livy Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin P. Flynn. That's it. This show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where we also come through like a wrecking ball. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. <laughs> on, right. on that happy note. <laughs> so dark. All right, let's let our listeners <laughs> know. Let's let our... All right, let's let our listeners know. No, word from Hint One. <laughs> <laughs>